This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, welcome to Growing Greener. I'm Ara Anderson, and this is my podcast series for Gardener's World magazine, where I'm inviting experts to share their knowledge about how we can all become sustainable gardeners. Through a blend of science-based facts, research, experience, and above all passion, you'll discover how your actions in the garden will make a real difference to the planet. In the UK, one of the topics we talk about the most is the weather. We feel like we get our fair share of rain, that is for sure. But our rainfall patterns are changing. It's either a heavy deluge, which we can't cope with, or we struggle with drought. But what we do expect is water pouring out from our outdoor taps whenever we need it. Is it time to rethink our reliance on this increasingly precious resource? My guest this episode thinks so. Janet Manning is a water expert, scientist and experienced gardener who has answers that could possibly challenge us all. Hi, Janet, and welcome to Growing Greener. Um, Now, you have 17 years of experience at Wessex Water as their regional operations scientist and was recruited as the UK's first garden water scientist by the RHS. But alongside that, you, like so many of us listening to this podcast, you're a gardener and you have been since a child. I want you to tell me, what is it about water that fascinates you both as a scientist and as a gardener? Oh, wow, that's a big question. How long have we got? (laughs) (laughs) Um, What fascinates me? I think my childhood was rather special, um, spending an awful lot of hours 
in a garden with my father on a very steep sloping garden growing huge amounts of vegetables it was really important to understand how to get the right amount of water to the right places so one of the first and most obvious things that my dad used to say was don't forget water always runs downhill (laughs) and it's really obvious but it does make you Uh, get a feel for the understanding of what's needed to get water where we need it. And it's heavy. If you've got to carry water uphill, it's really heavy. So yeah, just being able to get the water in the right place where you need it at the right time. Those sort of ideas were were planted in my head uh, in, in my childhood, definitely. Oh, good for good for dad getting you going straight away. And I guess really that fascination of sort of watching water running down a, a hill, you know, is that sort of what triggered that sort of exploration as, as uh, you know, when you become a scientist to actually study water? I think so. I think that's the great thing about gardening. It gives you that connection to how the world works. It's actually quite difficult to sit in a classroom and learn things from a blackboard. But if you get out and you actually try it, and you have to carry water around, or you go to a local stream, and you have a little go at just picking up the rocks and the twigs that are around and try and stop the water flowing, that's equally as difficult. And you get that understanding of what the problems really are. And then when you do get to a classroom and you have to learn from a blackboard, those practical experiences become much more, you know, based in your understanding and the theory becomes much easier to understand so yeah I think gardens are fantastic places to learn about how the world works yeah no I mean I think that's really lovely I can sort of want to get out there and start messing around in streams and actually get to understand about water and I think one of the things that's important so that we understand about you know how to water when to water I think we need to understand about the biology of a plant And I wondered if we could sort of talk a little bit about how plants function that can help us to think about watering them wisely. Absolutely. Um, I really struggle to just focus on water. You you can't do water without doing soil because soil is where the water is held. That's where the plants need to get their water from. So you need to have an understanding of how soil works. You need to have an understanding of where the rain goes when it does rain? How does it infiltrate through the soil? How do you stop it? Keep on draining through the soil and ending up, you know, down into the groundwater. You want it in the root zone. So yeah, you can't do water on its own. No, I I kind of totally agree with that. Now, I know before when we've spoken about water and, you know, you were talking about, I was asking, you know, when's the best time? And, you know, we were speaking about the fact that not of an evening, which I'd like when I could have a gin and tonic, (laughs) I need to get the coffee out and, and do it in the morning. So why is that? Lots of reasons. So when you water your plants, you're bound to get a bit on the leaves. Ideally, you wouldn't but you you do get some on the leaves. That water's doing no good to the plant, really. It might absorb a little bit through the leaves, but it's not a lot. It really needs to get into the soil, into the root zones. That's where the roots are. That's where the water is good for the plant. So that water on the leaves is just going to evaporate, so that's straight away, you know, wastage. A lot of the water obviously has to hit the surface of the soil. Again, that's going to evaporate. And evaporation happens faster when it's warmer. The coolest part of the day is just after dawn. As soon as the sun's coming up, 
you want to be out there watering ideally because that's when your evaporation rates will be lowest. Your plants won't actually be using the water because the sun has only just coming up and so they're not going to start using lots of water until they get the light on their leaves, they open their stomata and that's when they start photosynthesizing and using the water. So that's a good proportion of the why the reasons, you know, that it's best to water in the mornings rather than the evenings. Evenings are always warmer. And then you've got that water available, held in the root zone, ready for when they start photosynthesizing. I mean, that makes sense, really. And just to go back to the word stomata, what is that? And just in case some of uh, our listeners don't know what that is. So we all know that plants need sunlight to grow. But what they also need is the carbon dioxide out of the air. And they get that into their leaves through little tiny pores, and they're called stomata. So they're microscopic little pores in the underside of the leaves usually. And they open and close depending on whether there's light available. They also open and close depending on how much water is available. So they've got, um, I won't go into the science of it, but there's lots of ways that the plant can actually close their stomata down so they can stop losing the water vapour out through there. I mean that is what absolutely fascinates me about plants is is they are so clever they give us beauty but there's so much more going on than just a beautiful flower it is quite it's quite you know it's quite important to understand that I think really. Um, I mean I think that really you know obviously Everybody always does focus on water about with plants as, as the key thing, and especially in the UK, because we are pretty obsessed about the weather. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we are always on about the rain. Um, you know, we, we, we've definitely got that, especially as gardeners, I'm sure we're quite uh, weather focused. But, you know, in a changing climate, it seems that we are seeing more drought events in the summer. And when it's wet, it's really heavy um, torrential downpours. So when it comes to our gardens in the summer, we we still seem to be addicted to our hose and mains water for watering the garden. So, you know, what can we be doing to ensure water-wise gardening now and in the future during these really hot summers that are coming forward? Yeah, it's um I think it the, the trouble is it's really easy just to pick up the hose. You know, it's it's there, it's available, you don't have to order it in, you know, you don't have to pay for it straight away. Um, so it's it's really easy and convenient, but you just need to think about it and plan a little bit ahead. And actually, I know the water companies really, really do their absolute most to avoid hose pipe bans. That would be the ultimate, is that if there was a hose pipe ban because we were so short of water. They do lots of planning to make sure that they try and avoid that. Wouldn't it be great if we can help gardeners to actually not need a hose at all and then the water companies can bring in a hose pipe ban and we can all say well that's fine okay carry on you know we don't need a hose anymore anyway so it benefits everybody you know if we we're all taught to 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 garden without a hose everybody gets the benefit and there's lots of things you can do we mentioned about the root zone and Looking after soils is one of the most important things that you can do to to minimise the amount of watering that you need to do from any source, whether it's a hose or a water butt. But there's there's an awful lot that you can do. I mean, you know, give us some examples of that, Janet, because I know that, of course, the minute that temperature gets up, 
people just want to go out there and water. So give us some of those steps that we can go through to kind of, you know, reduce that urge. So the first thing is teach yourself how to water. I know it sounds really simple. You just chuck some water around. It's not a problem. But actually understanding that when you water, you're not only adding water to the soil, you're actually expelling the air out of the root zone. And those roots need air to respire, to be able to grow just as much as they need water. So you don't need to have saturated soil all the time. It's not necessary. You need to have that balance of water and air. And one of the simplest things you can teach yourself to do that is, is watering containers. So if you've got containers that are small enough to pick up and you can feel the weight, you very quickly get a feel for the weight of the container. If it's heavy, you know it's got plenty of water in. If it's really light, it needs some water. So the idea is that if you can keep it somewhere middling, then you've got that balance of air and water. As long as there's some water in there, it doesn't have to be full up all the time. Okay. I mean, I know that there's a temptation, isn't there, to kind of, especially in those hot spells, you know, go out there every single day. Is that the way that we should be watering? No, not at all. So just because it's hot doesn't mean to say that your plants need watering. If your soil's dry, your plants need watering. So one of the best things, watch the weather forecast. If you know that there's really hot weather coming, then keep on top of your watering. Don't let things dry out to a crisp, but just keep a little bit of moisture in there. Not too much, because actually plants have got this inbuilt mechanism that when there's a lot of water available, they will use a lot of water. It's a bit like, you know, if you've got a pint glass of water in front of you, or, you know, something stronger maybe, (laughs) um, you tend to drink the top half a lot quicker than you drink the bottom half. Plants do exactly the same. So if you're keeping your soil really moist all the time, you will find that your plants will be using more water. If you can keep that soil moisture down, and it takes a little bit more managing because obviously you haven't got quite so much reservoir, they're going to run out a bit quicker. But if you can keep on top of that, it means that your plants actually use less water. So when the hot weather comes, they won't be needing so much water. So it's like training your plants, really. Absolutely. I used to call it um, train your plants to be drought athletes. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's so funny. Right, exactly. Are you ready? Because we're going to go for the drought. I mean, I think the thing... The thing is, as well, I mean, things like mulching, or, or you know, we, we we tend to obviously think about mulching in terms of feeding the soil, but yep. there's also the, the the helping with the keeping the the uh, moisture in the soil as well, isn't there? Oh, uh, mulch. I, I think whatever the question is about gardening, there's a good chance that mulch is the answer. So it suppresses weeds, it stops surface evaporation, it feeds the soil, it helps biodiversity, it helps infiltration, it decompacts soil because if you get all the you know worms and things and all the little animals that live in it or be dragging it down into the soil and opening up the soil, yeah, whatever you're your question is about gardening. Try mulch. It's usually a a reasonable answer. But yeah, one of the main things is it avoids that surface evaporation. There's a key about mulch that doesn't get talked about enough, I don't think. So if Mm -hmm. you've got multi-purpose compost and you want to use that as a mulch, probably don't. It's not the ideal medium to use as a mulch. The reason being is that multi-purpose compost is really good at holding on to moisture. 
And the last place you want the moisture is in a thick layer over the surface of your soil. It's not the root zone. That's not where the roots grow. You need that multi-purpose down in the root zone. Mm-hmm. What, you, what you need on top is a chunkier, you know, um, something like bark or wood chip so that the water drains straight through that mulch and gets to the roots underneath. So multi-purpose compost is not the ideal mulch. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because, again, that, I guess, encourages as well the roots. I mean, I always talk about lazy roots, you know, and 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 if you've got too much water at the soil level, the roots just sit there going, okay, that's great. And you want those roots down, don't you? You want to get them down to search out water in the water table. Totally, absolutely. I've talked to people who garden on chalky soils. So they're very, what you might call light. I never understood that term, light. <laughs> I mean, if it's light, it's well, you know, it doesn't weigh very much. And all soil I know is really heavy. But if you're gardening on really chalky soils, the water drains down really, really deeply. But also because it's such an open sort of soil structure, you've got oxygen that goes down quite deeply as well. So you can create really deep roots. So if you've got an irrigation system on chalky soil, and you're irrigating it very frequently, all you're doing is encouraging that surface rooting because that's where the water will be on the surface. Whereas if you just water it very deeply, less frequently, the water gets driven further down underground. Mm -hmm. You develop that root system in a nice deep layer. And then when you get the drought coming, then, you know, you can allow those surface layers to dry out. No problem, because those roots have found the moisture in the deeper levels. Now, that's really interesting, you know, about bringing up irrigation, because I think there's a lot of gardeners who who want to have irrigation. You know, it's the backup, it's the safety valve in terms of making sure all of those fabulous plants they put in um, don't, you know, don't fry and go to waste. You know, whether it's the leaky hose pipe or, you know, lawn sprinklers. What What is your view on that? Um, irrigation should only really be necessary when you're first establishing your garden. Irrigation systems make it simple. They make it less work. They can be automated. So if you know what you're doing and there is a bit of knowledge needed in setting them up, then you can minimise the amount of water that you might need. But they really should only be needed for establishing those plants. So if if you're running a nursery business and you're constantly establishing new plants, because that's your business, you you want to grow new plants, you're going to need an irrigation system regardless. If you're designing a garden that you intend to keep for the next decade, well, the chances are you're only going to need that irrigation system for the first 12 months or so. Um, well, not even 12 months, you know, just for the first summer. So do you really want to invest all that money in an irrigation system? Or, you know, are there other ways of doing it? Are there other ways of maybe just using a, a local gardener that could come in, look after it for you and make sure that everything's irrigated to the point it needs to be just manually rather than actually investing in a huge system that you're only going to need for the first season? So, yeah, you probably do need to water a lawn if you've only just put it down, whether it's seeded or whether it's turfed. You will need to get 
some water onto it to be able to get those roots to grow down into the soil so they can then start finding their own water. It's all about decompacting soil. It's about having healthy roots, choosing the right variety to get the really deep roots, making sure that the soil is aerated so that when the rain does come, it infiltrates down through into the root zone and it doesn't run off the surface. There's so many things that you can do other than turn on the tap. The trouble is, if you think about the natural world, what does it do for irrigation? It doesn't. It doesn't have irrigation. What you've got are plants that grow where there's available water. So rather than starting off with a garden thinking, I'm going to need irrigation, why not start with a garden and think, what water have I got available and what plants would suit the water availability that I've got? I think there's a lot of missed opportunities out there. Um, You know, we've got a big lifestyle change to make to meet the climate biodiversity crisis that we're facing we've got to find ways and the easy ways you know let's get the you know the low-hanging fruit let's do the easy things first covering all our gardens in plastic pipe to run on mains water because most of them need mains water pressures to be able to work properly i don't think that's the answer Whereas we can choose the right plants, we can look at our soils, we can improve our soils, we can get healthier soils, we can get beautiful gardens without the need for irrigation. And we need to do more of that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think the other thing with irrigations, I mean, I do try to encourage clients if they are really, really worried about, you know, not having irrigation because of the investment they've done in the plants and I'm very strict about year one only, but also, you know, watering plants is a job that I love doing, but it actually gets you looking at the health of your plants. You see things that you wouldn't normally see if you're out there picking off those slugs and snails everybody's worried about. So there is also that side to it, isn't there? Actually being up close and personal watering gives you that other benefit. Oh, definitely. I'd much rather be watering plants than hoovering. Um, That's my excuse, you know, if there's housework to be done. Oh, no, I must go and water my plants. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. You spot things when you're actually there and you're concentrating on what does this plant need? Where does the water need to go? Oh, look, there's some pests or, you know, oh, look, that's, uh, that's, that's sprouting into life again. That's really good, you know, though. It is a very relaxing task, actually, just wandering around the garden and, and taking good looks and observing what's happening. It's a really good good opportunity. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, I know certainly your thinking is it, it's it's don't turn on that tap. And I think that means that, you know, we've got to think about maybe that rainwater capture uh, around Absolutely. the garden. Yeah, and I think, I think that's been sort of overdone almost. You know, everybody... Whenever you start talking about water saving, everybody says, oh, yeah, I use my water bar. So, yeah, okay, but, you know, do you use mulch? Did you um, think about changing the topography of your garden just so that you you capture more rain on a sloping bed? You know, you can just change the slope slightly so that when you do get rain, it, it gets put into the flower bed rather than drained away. Have you minimised the amount of hard landscaping that you put in? Think about having a bark path instead of paving. If it's bark path, it means it's another area that can absorb that rainwater rather than just having a, a drainage problem and you've got to deal with it in another way. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's trying to start thinking a bit beyond that tap, and 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 I, and I really like the you know the, the topography. I know that there are nurseries, um, certainly the Mediterranean. The way that you have to put your plants out is only in the autumn. They only really plant out in the autumn, and you put a little basin. You create a little basin around the the, the base of the plant so that it captures its own water and almost waters itself until it can get established. So that's always a good tip as well. Absolutely. I always think, um, you know, even the structure of the plants themselves, if you think of a tree, I mean, you know, most of the trees are are bare-leaved at the moment, and you can see if there's trees with branches facing upwards, when it rains, all the water actually runs down those branches to the roots and down the trunk straight to the roots. It's just perfect. You know, so the, the tree itself acts like an umbrella. It's collecting its own rain. So you choose plants like that, they're going to water themselves. If you choose things like, when I was working on a production nursery, heucheras were a nightmare to water. Because if you look at their leaf structure, they're like upside, well, they're like umbrellas. It's really hard to get the water down through into where it needs to be. Their leaves shed all the water off the sides. So you can't get the water into the pot. So just choosing a different structure of plant can actually make the difference to how much water and how much rain ends up where you need it. Yeah, definitely thinking about, I think, you know, you've got me thinking about these this plant structure as well, because it is, you know, I can think of many things, our Camilla and all sorts of plants, you know, now that start coming to mind for that. Water butts are key, obviously, um, for water collection, Janet, but um, there's a few health risks um, that we need to be aware of, isn't there, with that? Um, Yeah, not an awful lot. I mean, the health of wildlife, definitely. So have a properly fitting lid. Don't have one that tips or spins because a cat could possibly think that it's a solid lid, jump on it and gets a bath instead. That's not good. Keep a lid on if you can. If you don't have a lid on it, have something floating on the surface so that things like bees or insects can actually crawl up onto the float and then dry off and fly off. And then from a human health point of view, the only thing really that you need to uh, remember is always wash your hands, which is what we do anyway if we're playing with plants and soils but also don't create aerosols so we all know a bit more about airborne you know infection from having to live with covid think about aerosols if you're spraying it through a very fine um spray attachment then you're going to create small droplets that float in the air if there are bacteria or infection um, agents in that water then they're going to be floating in the air you really don't want to be breathing those in so as long as you're using a a watering can um, a simple hose you don't pump it you don't force it through a sprinkler and if you do put it through a sprinkler then just stay away from it you know just keep out of the way from it so that you don't breathe in those aerosols you're absolutely fine so we've talked about it's not just about the water bar, incredibly important, obviously. I just want to touch on using grey water. Um, is that appropriate in the garden? Um, there's sometimes people get a bit worried about, well, you know, should you be putting the, the dishwater onto the plants? Is it going to be harmful? What are your thoughts on that? Yep, there's just a few sort of tips and hints, really. So if you think about it, Um, When we talk about grey water, it's what's produced in your bathroom and your kitchen, but avoid the toilet, obviously. That's (laughs) black water. You don't want to go anywhere near that. Um, So 
there's a lot of water that we waste that doesn't have anything added to it. You know, how many times do you go to the kitchen sink and you want a cold glass of water and it comes out a bit warm, so you run the tap. But that water can all be saved and there's nothing in it. It's just the wrong temperature. Plants don't mind that. Same thing with the shower. You know, I use my plastic trug in the shower. You can just grab the first two minutes worth of shower flow when it's too cold. There's no soap in it. You can go and use that. And trugs are really good because they sort of fold up and you can use them as watering can themselves. Um, Washing vegetables, it might have some soil in it. That's going to be good for your plants. You know, put that straight back out into the garden. Um, Washing fruit and bread vegetables, uh, vegetable peelings, all of that sort of thing can can be used on the garden with no soap in it at all. So when you come to anything with soap in it, things like shower water, they don't have a lot of soap in it because it, obviously you've diluted it quite a bit with shower. You can still use that. All I would suggest is if it's a warm, dry summer, you think your water butt's going to run out, start using your shower water before you've run out of the water butt and alternate it between using grey water and then rainwater. And so the, the roots have got a chance to then recover from those extra few soapy chemicals that have gone in. The thing that makes the difference with the soap is the sodium. Plants don't like sodium. And most soapy things are based on sodium salts. So that's the problem with it. And, and it's very soluble. You can't really get rid of it. Okay. I mean, that also, I guess, you know, if you really want to go for it, start thinking about some of those products that you're using. There's a lot more plant-based um, products, aren't there, as well, that can be used for washing with um, if people really want to kind of take up this grey water usage. Absolutely. So if, you know, any of the biodegradable detergents and things are obviously going to be better because they are biodegradable in the soil. But so many of the soap ingredients, the main soap ingredients, often contains sodium lauryl sulfate. That's the problem one. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think it's really good to point that out because I think otherwise sometimes people can hold back a little bit. But that alternating, that's really um, good to know. Yeah, because if you alternate, then what happens is the rainwater helps to flush that excess sodium through the soil. So that's why it's good to alternate, you know, rather than if you continue to use grey water because you've run out of everything, then you, you could run into problems. But plants will cope with a little bit. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, what I know of you, um, Janet, you know, you are so passionate about not just water, you know, the whole garden, the whole system thinking. And I think that's, you know, the success of, of, of how you're able to understand how water works within the garden, because it's not just water that you look at. And, you know, I just think, how else can us gardens think beyond just our use of water? What can you give us as tips about how it impacts the bigger environment? So we can think, you know, when we are, when I have to get up really early in the morning, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, Janet. I need, I need some motivation for when I'm up really early. What things can I be thinking that I'm doing that is helping the wider environment? Okay, so you think about Getting up early in the morning, first thing you're going to enjoy is the bird song. So the birds get up early as well. You know, we all listened to the bird song in lockdown and we were all amazed at how many birds there were really out there. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing. And by watering in the mornings, what you're doing is you're supplying the water that will uh, help your flowers produce the nectar, which means that there's more nectar for the bees to collect. 
if they're struggling all the way through the day in the heat of the day and you have to wait until the evening, you know, the bees are going to be going home late in the evening. Well, they, they need, they need that nectar supply while the, while the sun's up and they're making lots of sugar. So there has been some work on, you know, plants and flowers do produce more nectar when they're well watered. Um, so you're helping in that way as well. You think about the mulch, you know, the mulch itself, that's, producing healthier soil that's helping you to avoid having to do any watering but you've got a massive amount of biodiversity in your soil and that lives on the organic matter that is constantly raining down if you think about the natural world you know every autumn all the leaves fall off the trees all the herbaceous things die down and under normal circumstances if we weren't gardening all of that dead material sits on the top of the soil just like mulch and all the rest of the biodiversity that's living in the soil starts dragging that down in and and actually working on it that then creates soil carbon and that's a really good carbon store which is you know some of that carbon dioxide that's been taken out of the air by all the plants you grew through the summer is then stored in the carbon of the soil over the winter so yeah it all fits together and everything everything relies on water you can't grow anything unless you've got water even cacti actually do need water <laughs> yeah my yeah mine sort of do sometimes a little bit dried out looking at me saying help Eric, help <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no i think i think that, that you know when, whenever i've had time to speak with you i think it's it's really driven home to me just thinking about water as being precious and not just something that just pops out the tap you know and i think there's also understanding like you say when we watch the weather we know when it rains but being really conscious when it doesn't because you know we have so many winters now don't we that are actually quite dry don't think of droughts in win- in winter time yeah so january's been actually quite dry um i know we've had a little bit of rain recently but yeah january's this year has been really dry um and I think we've always relied on the water companies to store that water for us. You know, we've always assumed that they're going to be able to do that. But that requires massive amounts of infrastructure. You know, if we can all do our little bit, I think one of those sort of um, statistics that I worked out one day, which which really brought it home to me, was if you think about it, there's about 30 million gardeners in the UK now. And a typical watering can is about 10 litres. So if you think, if you can just get every single gardener to save one watering can full of water, there would be enough water to supply people's homes um, for about two million people for a whole day. Wow. So you only need to save one watering can full of water to help two million people have, you know, their normal supply for, for a whole day. So as gardeners, we can really make an impact. And I mean, that that's just one watering can for watering lawns. It's a huge amount. It's massive. Because these facts are really good for us to hang on to. When I asked you before about how, if I was watering a garden for an hour, how, how do I know how much water I'm using? So say like I was doing the lawn. I'm sure you had a fact about that. Yeah, so um, an hour on the hose is worth a week's worth of water in a a normal household. So if you imagine inviting an extra friend to stay for a week, that's the same amount of water as you would use in watering the the garden for an hour with the hose. 
You see, these these little facts are very good at sticking in our minds, I think. Very good indeed. So we are nearly at the end of our talk, which is amazing. I could carry on talking for ages, but I just want to get a couple of things, really. So the first one is if if there was like a little mantra in terms of thinking about water, is there, are there a couple of mantra points that you could kind of share? So I think what we need to do is learn to live without our outside tap. Um, you know, because everybody benefits. Your plants benefit. The plants prefer the rainwater. They can bring in a hose pipe van. It won't bother you. You know, learn to live without the hose, definitely. And I think the other thing is think about what the natural world does. So the natural world doesn't have water butts. It has really deep organic soils. The natural world doesn't dig its soil. It just adds organic matter to the top. Or it might have animals burrowing in it now and again. So I think if you think about the natural world and how it copes with weather extremes and water extremes, and if you think about how you can live without your outside tap, I think those would do great, great things for everybody. What one change should we all be making now in our approach to watering the gardens? Think about your soil and learn to live without that outside tap. Definitely. Oh, that's great. Oh, thank you so much, Janet. And uh, thank you for your time. And as we head into summer, all of those top tips will be floating around in our heads. So thank you so much. Hopefully, yeah. And um, let's just pray for a nice, gentle bit of rain now and again. (laughs) That would be good. That would be good. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Thanks for listening to me, Ara Anderson, on the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. You can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it. Rate us in your podcast provider app. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.